This is Conflicting Emotions, a podcast from Weave News. The conversations featured on this podcast highlight the complex emotions and experiences of the BIPOC community at predominantly white institutions. We focus on stories that are real and raw, while also allowing space to share our triumphs and joys. Welcome to episode one of Conflicting Emotions. I'm Ivana Mohandesi. Our show today is titled The Intersection of BIPOC and LGBTQ Identities. In conversation with four St. Lawrence University students, we explore the experiences and insights that come from living at the intersection between these two marginalized communities. A couple of clarifications before we begin. SLU is how most students refer to St. Lawrence University and The Hill News and Ubuntu are student publications on campus. So welcome everyone. Thank you for being here today and joining the conversation. Um, I'm really excited to have you guys here. Um, we have four wonderful guests, all current students at St. Lawrence University in upstate New York. So let's do some quick introductions. My name is Kamar Lomari. I go by Cam. My pronouns are they, them, and I come from Lebanon. Hi, everyone. My name is Amanda. I am. Uh, I use she, her, hers pronouns. I am from Brazil. Hello, my name is Fabian Guzman. I'm from Costa Rica. I use pronouns he, him, his, and I'm also a junior here at St. Lawrence University. Hi, my name is Sarah. I'm a sophomore. Um, I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I'm from the U.S., but my parents are Dominican. Perfect. Thank you, guys. And I'm Ivana Mohandesi, she, her, hers. I recently graduated from SLU, and I'll be facilitating this conversation with you guys. So we're going to be talking about the intersections of the BIPOC community with the LGBTQ plus community, um, as you guys know. So just to start off, how are you guys today, and what encouraged you guys to come onto the show and speak about your experiences? For me personally, um, I had never been aware of my uh, identity as a BIPOC person until I came to the U.S. Um, that you know that includes being viewed as white because I'm Lebanese, and a lot of Lebanese people are blonde, white, etc., um, and then being racialized by people here. Yeah, I think what inspired me was actually like the reaction of people when I got here about me being from Brazil and being in the spectrum is like, but how you're from the global south, there's this idea that like queer people are white people because global south countries are not accepting of LGBTQ communities, which is problematic in itself. Um, and so actually last semester I wrote an article like a short piece for um, the Hill News about that because I was really mad. So I think like that's a conversation we urgently need to have. So that's why I'm here. Can you talk a little bit more about that piece you wrote for the Hill News? Yeah, it was called Queer Solidarity at St. Lawrence, the need for a more colorful debate because people are always so proud that the, fly, the, the pride flag is so colorful, but where is the colorfulness when we need it and the people that are included in our conversation? So we need more black people, indigenous people, um, people from different backgrounds included in the queer discourse. I feel for me what I was feeling really interested to be part of this conversation was 
just thinking about how being queer back home sometimes is harder than being queer here and how free you can be in a campus in San Lawrence. And, and if you think that if I would study back in Costa Rica, it would be a total different story. So I just really wanted to come here and like bring that perspective, at least from back home. Um, I'm going to piggyback off of Fabian and say that I agree. And that's also the reason why I'm here to talk about my experiences, because I know if I would have stayed at home to study, um, my experience would have been really different. Um, and I was already kind of like just like struggling with my identity and like my sexuality before getting to SLU. And like that has gotten so much better being away from home. So, yeah, I agree. So this is a kind of conversation that you're only able to engage in because you're at university. I could say yes. And also because like a lot of people back home um, are still struggling to like have this conversation out loud. You know, I know it's been a struggle, at least with my parents, to just reach to a same level of education. And it's been like years since like we can actually talk about topics like this or like how I actually get to feel. And in here, I get to be with a lot of peers that go through the same experience and they also relate and they like, we all learn together from each other. I feel, I don't know if I agree because it depends on what we're talking about because if back home means Brazil in general, I mean, yes, I could find friends that I could talk about this. But for example, like at SLU, I might feel comfortable because I have a, people that are also queer that I can feel comfortable talking with. But maybe if I was in a city in the U.S. working, I wouldn't feel comfortable. So I don't feel think like I feel comfortable because I'm in the U.S. because I don't think the U.S. should be praised as this idea where like people are free to be um, who they are in their sexuality or gender because I don't think that's completely true. Um, but the fact that we are on a campus that has rules and mostly young people that are tend to be generally more accepting and friends around, I feel that's a conversation I feel much more comfortable having here than I would have maybe back home where I don't have those kind of people around me all the time. I, I agree with you. Um, I'm thinking of family, you know. If I had been a tourist of Lebanon, I could be queer, and um, I don't think anyone would come and arrest you for it, contrary to what people think. Um, and back home, I am part of the conversation in the queer community. And the queer community back home is not so much underground as it is, you know, out and about and and uh, accomplishing a lot. But then it, that's different because I could not be a queer individual in front of my family. And so that's also part, you know, eliminating that from the equation makes having this conversation here in the U.S., being out, uh, you know, being able to be out with my partner as well, so much more different. For me, home is not so much so New York City, because that's where I'm from, but it's more like with like my parents, like at home, like that's my home. Um, I actually didn't come out to them. I was outed. I don't know who told them, but the, the implication of just like living there for that period of time, and it was so short, but like so much happened, we have conversations about it and like I feel comfortable around my friends acting the way that I prefer to act or liking whoever I want to like. After that whole thing happened, like they've forgotten that that has happened. Like that's like in the past. And so like there's no way for me to bring up a conversation of like, look, like this is still happening. Like this is not going to change, you know. So I think 
being at SLU is kind of like what permits me to like be, I guess, free in quotations. Um, yeah. If I can add something that you just brought to light or that you inspired both back home and in the U.S. and in other the other places that I've lived and visited, being queer has always been um, uh, a part of my identity that I acknowledge all the time. Mm-hmm. I think for me, because of my gender queerness and because of the the you know my androgynous look, that's something that's brought up in the public as, a lot, and that's something that people think they have the authority to question, but then. Yeah, you just it's just it's just like a little epiphany that I've never not considered my queerness. Yeah, and I think even arriving to SLU, this idea of feeling comfortable is not that automatic either. Like I remember my experience in my first year being at SLU, which didn't change much, is completely different from my experience in my second year because um, you need to create a space that you feel safe for yourself. Like SLU is not going to come to you. Like of course you enter an institution or any place or any new workplace or anything and you're not going to like it's not always that you automatically feel safe so like you need to find people that you can trust you need to find organizations in which in their meetings you feel comfortable talking about this or stuff like that so it's not this automatic i feel like many of us have like built this kind of support system for ourselves in a way yeah going off what amanda said let's talk a little bit about each of your support systems on campus and the spaces available for you to embrace your identity. What are these inclusive spaces or do they even exist for some of you? I think yesterday, Amanda, you and I were having a conversation and I discovered that there was a surge of queer international people and queer BIPOC people this year. And that it had been a huge contrast to the years before, which I hadn't realized. Uh, I encountered a lot of queer internationals and queer BIPOC individuals. When I first arrived, it was like, okay, yes, I got, I was able to find my people and I was able to talk with them. But then like, at the same time, it was like still holding myself to a certain extent. And I feel until this year, um, at least the experience that changed my life was, um, at least in this blue. It was like being part of the Ubuntu magazine and like having this platform for me to just like express my queerness in another level and then like seeing my picture all around campus, literally, and like having all these professors and students telling me like, you're the one of the magazine, right? And like just thinking of like, I was able to come with this concept along with Dusu, shout out to her, she was amazing partner for these pictures um, and just like represent who we are in um, PWI, I feel it's just like amazing for me. I think for, in general, it's hard for queer people to find your support system once they get to college because you find, need to find new people and you always need to get out of the closet once. Like getting out of the closet is not something that you do once in your life. You need to do it every time you meet a new person, which is the challenging part of getting to college. But I feel like if we take into account the intersection, if, for example, my positionality, I'm Latina, but I'm Brazilian, and Brazilian women tend to be very, very sexualized. And when we're talking about sexualizing, we're sexualizing women to the gaze of men. So when people meet me, um, they automatically think I'm heterosexual because, well, I'm a Brazilian woman, I need to be serving the interests of men. So it, there is this kind of like automatic um, idea that like Brazilian women cannot be queer, even though Brazil has a lot of LGBTQ people. Like, if you research about it, you're going to know. So there is, one, the challenge of making queer spaces available and the challenge of making queer spaces inclusive. What I would like to add is 
that I've never been in an institution or been part of an institution where more where we have more than one queer staff member. And having so many staff members here that identify as queer or BIPOC and queer is very encouraging. And it's sort of a pseudo support system because um, I, I don't I'm not close to any of those staff members. But by by them existing is enough representation for me to be uh, encouraged to say I'm BIPOC and queer. There's this idea of like how a queer person should look. And if you don't look like that, you're not. So, and I feel personally, for me, it's really um, interesting to see, at least in the gay men community inside campus, how of like, there are many people in the closet that they are not um, willing to come out or, or they are also like really afraid of doing it because they don't fit the stereotype all the time. Or, and this might have a lot of like reasonings for like, family pressures, society pressures, and that they are not ready. And that's fine. Everyone should take the time. But it's like, we all come back to connect of like, you have to fit into the stereotype of being queer to come out in extent, you know? And like, you have to live the life according to what queer stereotypes are in order to be queer. But being queer is so open and you all live your life in the way you want to, right? And like, you don't have to fit into certain boxes in order to be queer. I agree with you completely, and I think that's something that's very prominent on our campus or in, in this type of community in general, is that there is a compartmentalization of what being queer is and what being BIPOC is. So if you don't look the part, that's not yours. And people will question. For example, Sara, um, uh, I think I just said that in a very uh, Lebanese <laughs> accent. Um, your struggle of being queer and being in a heterosexual relationship I see how people can just disregard your queerness and say, you know, choose a side. This is your that your sexuality is not valid because it doesn't look queer. And you know what doesn't look queer for many people? By POC. Mm -hmm. Because people don't see us as people who can be queer because they attach like um, people of color or people from the global south with this idea of like backwardness. And so you can be queer because your community like criminalizes LGBTQ um, like experiences. It's like, yeah, but I'm not my government. But going back to like just the safe um, spaces on campus, I think it's really important to talk about therapy, counseling. I did counseling my first year here. I was going through um, a lot of things and it helped me a lot. So um, counseling is always an option and a safe space for people who need, especially queer people, BIPOC people who need like to talk and who need help. And um, I think that's one of the main venues on campus that you can reach out to. In my experience, it's been one of the first, they, the, the counselors have been one of the first people to respect my identity as a BIPOC person and as a queer person, especially as a gender queer person. So definitely a safe space there. You are listening to Conflicting Emotions, a podcast from Weave News. Be sure to visit www.weavenews.org or visit our Instagram page at Weave News Now to learn more about this series and how you can help support all of our grassroots media work. Do you think the counting center at SLU has been sufficient for you in terms of being a good enough support system for each and every one of you? Or is there more? Because I know we just got a BIPOC um, counselor who's also part of the LGBTQ community. So do you think that we need to do more when it comes to that? I will say yes. Um, 
personally because in my first year, um, I'm, I personally go with this new counselor this year. And my first year, I was having a lot of trouble with mental health to the extent that I had to go back home. And I feel also most of this was like I was not able to feel understood completely by my counselor in terms of like my ethnicity or like my my struggles as a queer person and as a queer person of color, right? I could never find that connection with my prior counselor until I met now this new counselor that we've been working through this entire year. And it's like, it's a different way of connection. Most of the people will not feel this because most of the people are white on campus and they will definitely connect in race with the counselors. But they don't know by experience all the struggles that we go through. So definitely having more of this will allow all of us to have different ways to connect. And finding a, a counselor that match is like super important because all different counselors have different ways of therapies and us as persons, we connect in different ways. I think I want to add, when I got here as a first year, I wanted to go to the health and counseling center to get some therapy. Without even going, I felt like everybody who worked there was going to be white. And because I'm Afro-Latina and like I I was like, no, like I, I don't want to tell like a white person my my story and then not have them connect with me in a way that I'm looking for that connection. Because this is something that is really personal to me that I would like to speak to about uh, that I would like to speak to with someone that would possibly understand and kind of like be able to give me advice and like give me that like foundation that I don't have right now. And so I didn't even step foot. So I'm curious to know in these moments of frustration where you feel like all the things that you're feeling, how do you celebrate or honor the intersection of your identities? For me, is just staying true to my identity and not whitewashing myself. And so what people often think is I identify as I or I introduce myself as Cam because it's easier for other people. It's easier for English speakers to say. And truly, I don't want anyone to butcher my name, but it's because I choose to be called Cam because it's, it's more gender neutral. And so that is not considered and that is, you know, disregarded. But I choose, you know, I don't feel like I need to explain myself to anyone. Choosing that for myself and knowing that for myself and th knowing that my name is Qamar. My name is Qamar Al-Amari and I am Lebanese. I think for me, I've had a surge in kind of like accepting who I am. Not even just from like coming to college, but even in like my in my blackness and kind of just like taking all of that in and expelling it out and being like, this is who I am, you know, like even like before SLU, I had never met anybody from a different country. And so like now I have so many international friends and like people who whose culture is not from here. That has made me appreciate my own culture a lot more. I think it's like great. Like I love everyone and I love myself and um, I appreciate those who um, are genuine because I try to be as genuine as I can. So I like to see other people live out their lives and that kind of like just makes me happy to be who I am. I try to ground myself on like queer, being queer outside of the idea of like, these are gay people, this is the rest of society doing something else. 
we're queer everywhere. So what really grants me is activism in Brazil. And so there is a movement I'm particularly passionate about, which the Landless Workers Movement. And they work for the land, for agriculture, changing food system. And they have an LGBTQ collective. And that's amazing to me because we're out there working for anything we want and striving for anything we want. And it's a Brazilian movement with black people in the front, indigenous people in the front, and seeing them and seeing that they're organizing themselves and that inspires me. So I always try to to like remind myself of the history of my own community and like what are queer people doing where I am from. Finding people that are very similar and like have gone through similar experiences that you. We grow up and we basically have to educate ourselves most of the time how we want to be queer and how we want to be ourselves truly. Because most of the time what we see in the TV is the guy, the girl, love story, period. And we have to learn how to love. We have to learn how to be ourselves, how we're dressed, how to, how to go out in society and how to be a new whole person that was already seen in media most of the time. So as we reach the end of our episode, I'm curious to know, for all the people listening, what would you want them to take away from this conversation and all the things that you said? What would you want them to learn? Um, I think being a BIPOC queer individual, something I've encountered a lot is people questioning me. Why this? Why that? We are not responsible for educating anyone. And um, that goes across many communities. I think one thing I would like people to take away is decentralize your knowledge. That That's it. Like, look for other references of, if you're queer, look for other references inside your community. If you're BIPOC, also look for queer people inside your community because, like, there is a whole lot of information that people have been producing, activists, and, like, it's there for you to reach to it. Like, as Cam said, like, we're not supposed to be teaching anyone, and there's already people doing that. The respect of our identities and... Um, you will not like anyone to come and tell you you're not yourself. So respect our, our identities and who we are and don't tell us we're wrong because that's our... It's like if I come to you and I tell you that's not your name, <laughs> like what are you going to do about it, right? So that respect of identities and like to understand that queer is a huge spectrum that does not have boxes, does not have uh, guidelines, and it can be lived in the way the queer person wants to live. I would say get to know us. There is so much judging that happens without people knowing you. And I think that comes from a lot of just like stereotyping and all of that stuff. So like get to know us and like actually like actually want to have conversations with us and want to know some of the background of like where we come from and all of that stuff because it's important and it makes people feel like you know like you want to talk to them this is a complex issue and we're just scratching the surface of it and i want to thank you for sharing your stories and your experiences thank you for giving us a platform thank you Ivana. thank you yay Thank you for joining us. For information and resources related to today's episode, make sure to visit the Conflicting Emotions podcast page at www.weavenews.org. While you're there, check out all the latest content from our citizen journalists, including the powerful first-person stories in the Conflicting Emotions article series. 
You can also find us on Instagram at WeaveNewsNow and on Twitter at WeaveNews for regular updates on our work. For Weave News, I'm Ivana Mohandesi. Join us next time for more conflicting emotions.